Welcome to Education Honestly. I'm Shanna. And I'm Claire. Tonight we're going to have a more lighthearted episode or today or the afternoon, whatever you're listening, because we're going to talk about our teaching pet peeves. Maybe not just ours, but those of us, those around us as well. But for my own entertainment, I'm going to set Claire off just because I can. Hey, Claire, you ready? Let's talk about differentiated instruction. Oh my god, that's like my biggest pet peeve. I know. This is this is like pushing when like siblings push each other's buttons on purpose and go. Yeah, pet oh my gosh. Differentiated instruction has been my personal pet peeve. Oh my goodness, my pet Steve. My pet peeve. Hmm. Yeah, I have a pet Steve. Um has been my pet peeve for 20 years. Um and really the it got really got, let's say, got exasperated when uh, all the uh, new language came out around IEPs and accommodations and modifications and people started using words interchangeably. So using differentiated instruction instead of um, accommodations or modifications, because in fact, they are three very different things. They are not... Okay, but people... But people assume they're the same. Why? Um, Because that's a great question, actually. I think it's really easy because we all differentiate our instruction. We all cater our instruction. We change our instruction to meet the needs of a student. And the way you differentiate, change, accommodate, modify, et cetera, et cetera, your instruction it um, like the words are synonyms for each other. Basically, they're synonyms for each other. Okay, and, fair so, enough. Right. So differentiated instruction has become this big, think of it like a conglomerate definition of a whole bunch of different uh, concepts in education. But the the reality is there's a root to differentiated instruction and the root to it is in the multiple intelligences. Yes, yes it is. Right, so differentiated instruction is actually speaking about our multiple intelligences. Yeah. Um, Well, do you think, um, maybe for our listeners, I'll just explain what modification and accommodations are. So modification- IEP headings. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's all they are. Nothing more, right? Right. So, right. They are. So modifications, those are your changes that you would make to the curriculum. They're fundamental changes. Um, you might uh, alter a standard expectation for teaching, learning, or assessment. And that's because the student is unable to gain the knowledge of all that material, or they maybe can only gain a portion of that material. So for example is, you know, allowing fewer items to be completed, you know, providing a lower or greater level of text, or changing the, the language that the student will read or use. So that's really what modification is. Okay, accommodation, go. All right, so for accommodation, uh, those are things that 
um, sorry, there are adaptations or changes that provide access to the curriculum, but they don't fundamentally change the learning goal or the grade or the expectation. It's just a, an adaptation. So for example, instead of writing an essay, a student might give an oral response or might have somebody scribe their response, or maybe a student has larger, you know, they get the same a task or assessment piece of paper, but it's in large print, or they get additional time to complete a test or a homework. Nothing else changes. The curriculum expectation does not change. Just maybe how the student interacts with the curriculum to show their knowledge, to show their learning, that might change. It's just an, a slight alteration or a slight adaptation. Okay, so when I picture differentiated instruction, I picture actually a class I had a couple of years ago and everybody learned differently. It was like, oh, wake up. But what do you We're mean not by, all learning the same. But what do you mean by everybody learned differently? What okay, so um, I knew there were some students who were more successful because they needed a visual type of learning. Yeah. And so I always wrote instructions, but I also knew there were those who needed auditory learning. So I not only read the instructions, but then explained further. There were some students who needed differentiated instruction in the fact that they needed um, to be seated specifically to help them focus. So it's yeah. not like... But seated differently, that is an accommodation. That is not differentiated instruction. Okay, fair. But I, I mean like, okay, let me rephrase that. Okay. Seated differently from where somebody else is seated because their learning was going to be different from somebody else. So I supported the fact that the quieter kids needed to be because they learned better in a quiet, more calm level versus the kids who were very verbal and learned and um, spoke out better. Oh, so what you're actually comparing are interpersonal learners versus intrapersonal learners. Absolutely. So but being aware of those different learning styles right. is very significant. Let's do a little quick little test, Shanna. How many multiple intelligences are there according to Howard Gardner in his first book from 1983, Frame of Mind? Originally, I believe there was eight. Correct. There were eight. Can you name the eight? Is there a prize for that? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe. All right. Uh, here's your quiz. Name yeah. them. Oh, I can name them. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Okay, so there's a, a off, naturalist, pants. a naturalist learner. So somebody who understands living things and reading nature, a uh, spatial learner, uh, visualizing the world in three dimensions, um, linguistic, uh, a student who finds the right words to express what they mean, uh, a logical mathematical learner, uh, quantifying things, uh, making hypotheses, proving them, logical reasoning. How many do I have now? Yeah, I think you're at four. Uh, musical. Musical. So discerning you. sounds, their pitch, their tone, the rhythm, the timber, uh, learning through music, engaging with music. Uh, oh, my favorite. Bodily kinesthetic. Uh, yes. Body, that's my fave. Um, you know, coordinating the mind-body into movement and engaging uh, through the world, uh, through text, through voice, through um, experiential learning through the body. 
and two oh, more you can do it right and the last two that i've already said interpersonal versus intrapersonal so an interpersonal person is somebody who learns through sensing people's feelings and emotions and the motive behind it where an intrapersonal person is understanding of self so they're the kids who are you know who like to spend some time working by themselves and you know they understand what they feel and what they want and that's an interpersonal it's our intrapersonal. Okay, here's the question. Can you be, um, out of those different learning styles, can you be more than one learning style? Absolutely. Could Absolutely. Be... And we should never be pigeonholing, holding, pigeonholing. Yeah, oh my goodness. Pigeonholing yeah, any kids to those domains, nor any adult, because the reality is we all ebb and flow through all those eight. And there's like, then he proposed, Gardner promote proposed nine and now I think there's 11 like there's so many different learning styles and and uh and the way you we as teachers can share that knowledge and engage kids with the curriculum using the multiple intelligences so differentiated instruction is really about providing students with a plethora of learning opportunities that are grounded or rooted in the multiple intelligences. So let's say, you know, you're doing an activity on, I'm going to pick something simple, naturalist, you're doing an activity on uh, weather and seasons, you know, yeah. you're, you know, the naturalist is going outside and you're exploring nature and, and reading nature. This spatial person is out in nature, you know, visualizing the world in 3d and then bringing that back and drawing it in 3d. Um, yeah. your musical learner might be catching the tones, the rhythms, the patterns of the different sounds and then recreating that in a sound, in a musical soundscape, you know, the bodily kinesthetic person could be dancing the wind and then coming back and writing about it and finding the right words to express it. I mean, you know, in one lesson you could cover, you know, possibly even all eight, but you know, you don't have to. No, and, and I wouldn't. And there's lots of lessons where I've never covered all eight. Um, and usually you, should, you also shouldn't be stuck in one for all of your teaching either. That's just irresponsible in my opinion. Right. And there's my pet peeve. There's right. your pet peeve. Like, okay. Do you feel adequately set off? Yeah, I do. Thanks for that. You feel better now? Just be a little lighter perhaps? No, you've set me off you. Yes. But now you've expressed it to the world and the world can therefore be mindful of your pet peeve. So, uh, yes. So please, if we're going to talk about differentiated instruction in my presence, make sure we're talking about it being grounded in the multiple intelligences and not accommodations and modifications. <laughs> okay. Now, in all fairness, I get to set you off. Lord love a duck. Yeah. Let's talk about herding cats. You, you mean small people? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, moving a bunch of small people from point A to point B. I, I, I do truly enjoy when I've gone through the expectations and we've practiced and practiced and practiced and we're trying to get from, say, the classroom to outdoor play and it still takes me 15 minutes because so-and-so has gotten ready with everything but their boots on or... Um, everybody has to pee at the same time or everybody squirrel. has to go at the same time. 
right at the right at the worst time. And then when you look at who has to go to the bathroom, they um, you have to look at the pairings because I I don't have a washroom in my classroom this year, and you have to look at the pairings. Does child A, B, or C really, should they go to the bathroom together? Because will they come back and will they be soaking wet upon their return? And I'm not talking about, you know, bodily fluids. The fact that they have now basically crawled into the sink and had a bath. And so you have to deal with that and changing them. And then you have to deal with the fact that, you know, they're never walking in the same direction. Um, They're always trying to go into another place. So one of the things that we did because herding cats was an um, exercise in my personal frustration. Um, well, uh, well, so when we're out for outdoor play, we lots of teachers had bells to okay. call their students in, and because there were so many bells, my class heard exactly none of them, and wow. so none. They they heard them, but they dismissed them because they just assumed it was another class. Because there were so many individual little bells going off, and I was oh like, my, "Nobody's hearing this." Oh my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine too. Keep going. So I have a code word. I have a really um, expressive. I'm loud. Just like I'm loud. Just no telling about it, but you know, this is a family trait, and I wear it with pride. But I'm loud. And um, so I use the word Rumpelstiltskin. I have absolutely no idea why that is the word that we use, um, but I say Rumpelstiltskin at the end of our playtime, um, whether it be in the gym or outside, wherever we are, and my students know it's exactly geared to them, nobody else. Awesome. And they repeat it and they share it and they try to make the others accountable. But it wasn't until we got that ingrained then the herding cats minimized. And now that this is the second year in a row that we've used it, the older kids totally are on board. The younger kids are still wandering off into their own existence, but it's starting to click into some, not all. But I mean, it, it, I just, I find it frustrating when everybody's going left, right, up, down, and I, there's not enough me to go around. <laughs> You know what? I like the word Rumpelstiltskin. Well, I like the use of the word. Normally, I use a very brightly colored umbrella, teal colored umbrella, and the students know when that pops open um, to come. But wow, I, okay. I know, but it also, then I always have to remember to carry the umbrella with me. Yeah, my voice goes everywhere. It's just, it's amazing how that works out. Yeah, I don't have that problem either, so, but yeah. Yeah, so that is... Definitely a pet peeve for me. Um, And just, you know, something that, um, do you have a magic solution for that one? No, I don't. Yeah, no. I like the Rumpelstiltskin word and then, yeah, like the umbrella thing, it works. I use the umbrella when I'm traveling. So. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, we just want to add in one thing before starting this discussion point. Um, while we know that we shouldn't or don't have to spend money on our classrooms, um, we are not endorsing doing so by any means, just stating a fact of something for, uh, based on the article that we read and an observation to each their own. Oh, one of the other things that I think would be a pet peeve for both of us, um, I want to read you some statistics. Oh, okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So there is a Toronto.com article. Okay. That was published in, on September 8th, 2020. So it's really... This year? It was this year. We're recording this in mid to late October. 
depending on your point of view of the date. Um, and so this is really, really, really recent. And it's um, by Veronica Apia, or I, I guess I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correct. All right, here's your breakdown. They have quoted um, from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, also known as ETFO, that in 2020, 25% of teachers reported spending between $251 to $500 on their classroom. So that means extra supplies, decorations, actual hands-on activity, like anything that they can purchase in the classroom out of their own money, not including any budget whatsoever that may or may not be provided for their classroom. That's it? 25%? That's it? it, 25%. Wait, 19% reported spending between 501 and $1,000. That's a oh. lot of money. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of money. It gets better. What? 8% reported spending more than $1,000 of their own money to support their classroom and its work. Yeah, I, I've hit that more that that eight percent quite a few years. Yeah, I'm nope. definitely in the same realm. And yes, I know as being Canadian teachers, we do have the benefit of claiming some extra expenses um, on our taxes because I want to be fully transparent on this. But the reality is, you have to save every single um, receipt that you use. And personally, I think our <laughs> perhaps our pension should um, buy into Dollarama because yeah. we or any other dollar store because we spend so much money and it's that small five to ten dollars that you're grabbing just on the way home from the store or you're running in to grab yourself a pack of gum and you come out with sparkly this and pipe cleaner that and it just it adds up so quickly that how are, it's hard to track that. I'm willing to bet these, these statistics are close, but could be much, much higher. And, you know, add them up. You're looking at less than 50% of people who thought about it in the same way. I'm willing to bet it's much, much higher. I watched a teacher yesterday who's like wonderful and committed to his classroom and went and spent something like $10 of his own money on balloons that were full of helium for a science project. But that was a 35-minute lesson. And yeah, 10 bucks isn't that much, but how many times a week are you spending that kind of money on a quick lesson just because it's not in your budget to have helium balloons? Yeah. Or, you know, you've got magnets, but you don't have enough magnets for the entire class. So you right. need, you purchase just that little bit more. Yeah, and, and that a little bit more. Keep in mind, like when somebody's spending 10 bucks on helium balloons, they're not buying the cheap latex ones they're buying the aluminum foil ones because we can't bring latex into school due to allergies right absolutely so you have to be absolutely this stuff but you know this is about pet peeves and i want to share with you um a pet peeve around teacher spending money that wasn't my pet peeve but a friend of mine so early in my career i was living with a my friend uh, her and i had a an apartment together and as I was starting off my career she would see me going to the store and and buying lots of things with my own money and whatever and I remember her coming home one day she must have been talking to her co-workers or something and clearly something came up about teachers and she tells I mean goodness if I could get the story from her but when she tells a story there's lots of passion and intensity to it and she basically told her colleagues that you know like you know, you got to be careful what you say about 
teachers and money and spending because they spend a lot of money on your child on your on the classroom that you know there's a reason why you know our pay is what it is because we we spend it so i was really kind of grateful for her for sticking up for us and yeah that's it's funny because i've you know we we're, we're still friends and i know that that pet peeve comes up quite often with her still when she's speaking with colleagues and whatnot. So what you're saying actually has just brought up not a pet peeve, maybe it is a pet peeve. So there's not only the financial spending of being a teacher, but the spending of time. Oh, that's a big one. Which is just as valuable. Like think if you were spending, you were working somewhere at just like minimum wage, if all the extra time that you spent outside of your classroom preparing things were actually compensated for, I'm going to interject. Here's my, here it is. The big one. My mother calling me during March break going, you're off. Can you do this? And I'm like, mom, I'm working. Like I I might be at home, but I'm working like, oh my gosh. That's a peeve. Oh, and, and then the summer, you have the whole summer off. Yes. And I have been preparing since the end of class. Now, there are absolutely times as teachers we go and spend some time at a cottage or go off and have a day during our break that we are so muchly deserved. Yeah. And, oh, just so anybody who's not necessarily paid in the same fashion, teachers' pay is amortized over a year. It's not like you're being paid for the summer. It's your pay for the rest of the year spread out over equal payments throughout the year. But I I would like to uh, end this podcast with a statement to my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Can I watch your face when she hears this? Oh, please. I, I invite everybody to my mother out there who is probably not listening to this podcast, but I really wish she did. Please do not call me and say, but you're off. You can totally do this. You've got all this time because my God, I do not. Well, please stop calling me and getting me to do your bidding. You go do your own bidding. (laughs) (laughs) So to counter that in a positive thing, since we were distance learning for many months at the end of last school year, my mother has made it her mission to tell everybody. Now, my mom has always been very proud of me, and I've known that, but she's never, I've never seen her quite this vocal, to say, my daughter was getting up, trying to get organized her own children, then teaching online, then, you know, giving feedback to any work that had been given out, and going on, and then recording videos and this, and not going to bed till two o'clock in the morning, and then getting up and doing it again. I've never seen my child so exhausted. Don't you dare say that teachers are sitting at home doing nothing. She would live it at the thought, and just kept making sure she was telling everybody how much work I was doing. I was like, I really like you. <laughs> Thank you. You know what? And that's a great pet peeve, and it is a pet peeve. You know why? Because I think, and you know what? This would be a great topic for another podcast. We should get a virtual school teacher on and talk about that really it's almost like you're being thrown back into being a first year teacher oh my goodness yes yeah because and it was right like we were all thrown back into that it's like being a first year teacher where you're trying to deal with the expectations of the parents and the curriculum and all this type of stuff and you are exploring yeah let's use the word exploring the your style you're learning 
style again. Like the technical stuff isn't the hard part. It's the hard part is developing your style. And that's where as experienced teachers, things come so naturally and easily to us because we know what our style is. But now that all of us are being thrown back into the virtual room. Yeah, it's we're renegotiating what our learning style, teaching style means to us. That's Absolutely. big work. That's exhausting work. Not to mention the expectations of being a virtual teacher that went from, you know, a certain amount of interaction to an, a lot of interaction. There's nothing wrong with synchronous learning, but uh, it, it's, you know, I don't think, it's necessarily realized how taxing that is not only on the students, but on the teacher and how hard that is to manage. In fact, the one thing about the this day and age in social media, I I found it really stressful and frustrating to listen to some people venting on social media about how they have felt about how teachers have been doing in the classroom, outside of the classroom and how we are doing things. It's, It's become a public venting ground. When I listen to them, I keep shaking my head thinking, you have no idea why that's happening and what's happening behind the scenes, yet it, it is okay to publicly vent a negativity about something or someone you know nothing about. Well, that's and your as pet teachers, peeve. well, it's a total pet peeve. And but as teachers, we don't engage in that behavior and push that push back on that parent and say, No, you don't know what you're talking about. That's inaccurate information. That's out of my control. And please don't publicly, you know speak about me in that manner because it's not accurate or acceptable, but we don't. Well, the pet, the right. Because the pet peeve is that everybody's been through the education system or some form of education and, and the assumption, the bias that is out there is, well, I've been through the education system, so I know it, or I'm volunteering in the school, so I know it, or I, you know, I'm involved in council, so I know it. And you know what, that's a pet peeve, because really, until you're standing there and you're the sole one responsible for all the bodies in front of you and they're learning, it's, uh, we are more than just a teacher. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm on my ki- my children's parent council, and I am the first one to stand up and say, actually, no, that's not that's not expected or a, an appropriate assumption of a teacher. That's not an um, something that you can ask. And even if you do, if they say no, you don't have a right to be upset because they are completely within their rights to say no. I'm not going to be here three Saturdays in a row to, you know, monitor something that you would like to do because I have a life too. Yeah. So, thank you. Do you feel lighter? Because I feel lighter. I feel like I've laughed a little bit today. (laughs) That's good. I'm even better with that. And you know what? We're not not meaning to sound like like a curmudgeon or grumpy. No, they're just just pet peeves. Yeah, just pet peeves and to validate that other people can feel this exact same way. We just don't have a water cooler because we don't work in an office. So we can with COVID and say our pet peeves. Yeah, and, and with COVID, we don't have a staff room anymore either. True. Yeah, that's just different. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We love our job. But- yeah, oh, yeah, definitely love our, our job. Don't get me wrong here. Yeah. I love our job, but you know, there are aspects that we could do differently. True. Have pet peeves about. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Education Honestly today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can also find us on social media for on Facebook and on um, Instagram, both at the handle Education Honestly. Our website is almost ready to go. 
Uh, it's our first iteration, so it'll grow and we'll grow with it. But once it's available, we'll pop that up and we can't wait for you to see what we've been working on. Great. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time.